Welcome to Reclaiming the Faith with Phil Baker, a podcast with a mission to reveal what the earliest Christians believed about the core issues facing us today. You can find links to all of Phil's resources at philsbaker.com. Thanks so much for taking the time to listen today and take a moment to share this podcast with your friends. Now, here's Phil. Hey, y'all, here in episode 117, I get to interview my good friend, Kareem McBean. And in this interview, we talk about how his view and understanding of God evolved throughout his years and certain events that helped spark changes in his view of God, specifically how encountering the anti-Nicene writings have played a pivotal role in shaping his biblical worldview. If you're blessed by this episode, please consider leaving a rating and review on my Apple podcast channel, Reclaiming the Faith. Also, if you haven't already, please go check out my new book called Faithful Witness, the Early Church's Theology of Martyrdom, which you can find in audio version, paperback version, and Kindle version on Amazon. And again, if that's a blessing to you, please consider leaving a rating and review there. I am blessed to be a part of Omega Frequency, and we put out great content every week, which you can find on our two YouTube channels, Omega Frequency and Omega Frequency Live. And this Friday, BDK and I are going to be going through Another section of the Didache, the earliest extra-biblical Christian document in existence. And we're going to be discussing again how it calls us to follow the simple way and simple words of Christ. So be sure to check that out on Friday at 8 p.m. Central Time. All right, without any further ado, let's get into episode 117. Kareem the Dream McBean. <laughs> I'm so glad you're here, man. I, I've been looking forward to doing this interview for a long time. Looking forward to it myself. Yeah, man. Well, take us back to the beginning, right? Suddenly, you were born. Yes. What was it like growing, <laughs> what was it like growing up? And uh, how did your... your uh, environment and your parents begin to shape your your worldview from childhood. Okay, so I was born uh, 1981, <clears throat> St. Thomas Virgin Islands, mm. and then I've looked it up in the past. It was a Tuesday, nice May 26. Yeah, so um, born in the Virgin Islands and was raised. Um, I lived with my mom. But my dad was also in my life, and uh, but I lived with my mom. I am the only child between my mom and my dad. I do have a half sister uh, through my dad, and um, so I wasn't raised in church, but I was baptized, and you know we go to church Christmas. What denomination was that? Lutheran, actually. Okay. Yeah. Um, now, <clears throat> don't ask me what that means in terms of Lutheran and what it meant, because I'm really not uh, familiar with it in terms of growing up. What did that particular Lutheran church believe? Because sure. you do have different kinds of Lutheran. Yeah. Um, 
So uh, we would go to church. So I had some concept of God. We had like, you know, my mom had a Bible, that kind of thing. Um, but in terms of growing up in the islands, you're heavily influenced by reggae music. Mm. Um, it's a slower lifestyle. Uh, you know, most of your the people that you know um, are in some way involved in, uh, we have like calypso music. There's a lot, it's a very cultural society. There's a lot of culture involved. Um, and there's this uh, mention of God, but maybe not necessarily uh, the fellowship with with Christ. So you, you're going to hear about God. You're going to hear about, uh, you know, people who love God or people may say things like pray for me. Um, we did have prayer in school <laughs> yeah. when I was growing up. Was that a um, Christian school? No. Okay. Public school. Okay. Um, and so we did have those things, but uh, it wasn't something where it was necessarily followed up with a certain lifestyle. Um, and I guess you kind of see that a lot today, kind of a surface where you may acknowledge, but it doesn't necessarily reflect in how you live. Mm. Um, so parents shaping my worldview, um, I would say in terms of my worldview, um, I didn't really have one per se, but then when you get to college, and you start to see certain situations, you realize, oh, this is how I feel about this, or this is how I feel about that. Um, I would say probably more uh, conservative mm -hmm. in terms of what I believed to be right and wrong. Yeah. Um, my parents, we didn't have, like my dad made good money, my mom get, made good money, <clears throat> but we weren't rich and we certainly weren't poor. So I guess you'd be, you know, middle class. Yeah. Um, but <laughs> when you live in the islands, uh, when the hurricane comes, everybody's in the same class. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Right? Because now we got to clean up. Yeah. Homes are destroyed. No power. You know, in certain cases, no food. You may have to, you know, get food from a neighbor. Or we would have, uh, when it was really bad, the military would come and bring what's called MREs, mm -hmm. things that they would have. Um, out on the battlefield, it's like a kind of comes in a bag, and all you do is add water, and the thing heats it up yeah. on its own, and you kind of eat it from there. And those actually begin to taste very good. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, at first it's kind of like, eh, but then you look forward to them. Mm. So we had some of those. Uh, so my point is, even if you have someone who has a lot of money, someone who doesn't have a, someone who has a lot of money, someone who doesn't have a lot. Uh, the hurricane comes and just equalizes everything mm. because now we all have to rebuild and we all have to sort of come back off the ground and, and get back up again. Do you remember a particular hurricane? Like I remember Alicia in 84 and mm -hmm. I remember Hugo, I think that was like 89 or something yep. like that. So did y'all get hit by yeah. either of them? So Hugo, we, we got in 89. Yeah. So yeah, it's funny you say that. Hugo, 89, Maryland, 96. Um, and I've lost track, but for example, I think it was 2004, there were three hurricanes, I believe, that came through Florida in the span of like two weeks. I was in Florida at the time. 
Mm. Then I was in Florida for Hurricane Andrew Okay. at the time. So I think at last count, I've been in like eight hurricanes. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, I do remember Hugo 89, Maryland 96. Those were the big ones. Uh, did you, did your home get destroyed? Uh, we oh, lost man. the... Sorry, that was Amos. No, you're fine. <laughs> <laughs> you're fine. We lost the roof oh, um, from the first one. Uh, in the second one, we were okay, but we were in my, my mom's room. I remember being in my mom's room during the hurricane, and some object, stone probably, just came through the window and bash, hit the window. And all of a sudden, all the wind starts coming in. So me, my mom, and my dad had to go run in the laundry room because now the the bedroom's not safe because now stuff is just going to come in. Yeah. Uh, so there was some damage there. Um, vehicles would be damaged. Um, yeah, it was it was pretty bad. But it was, I always tell people, we didn't have any power. Uh, in one case, we didn't have you know power for six months and cable for a year. <laughs> but those were some of the best times because one. Uh, when the sun went down, it was time to go to sleep. Mm. There's nothing left to do. Yeah. So people actually were in better shape because they got more sleep and they ate less. Mm. <laughs> because you're just not eating like yeah. that. Because it's you know you breakfast, lunch, dinner, right? And you're probably in bed by seven seven thirty because the sun's gone down, uh, and it's time to go to sleep. Um, so you spend more time with family. But of course, this is pre cell phone and internet um but those those times when you didn't have much were actually some of the better times hmm. because you didn't need much um and so you know families will probably get a lot closer <laughs> uh you'd be outside playing with your friends and sun's going down it's time to go inside because now you have another element of the mosquitoes mm -hmm. <laughs> and so if you're hanging around too long outside at night you know you're going to get bit, and nobody likes that. It's kind of it's extremely annoying. Um, was malaria prevalent there? Uh, no, but I do remember getting sick one time when I got bit by a mosquito, and I got real sick, throwing up sick. I don't know exactly what I had, but I had something. Yeah. Because it's just not my... Like, that was one of the two times in my life I've ever vomited. So something was going on yeah. from that mosquito bite, so... Yeah. You know, with those hurricanes early on, you're like eight and fifteen, right? Um, it can it can bring the reality of our mortality right up in our faces, and with that, we begin to think a little bit more about God as well. I'm sure. Yeah. Um, do you remember some particular moments there in the islands where you felt God trying to get your attention? Uh, I remember thinking about God when we were in that laundry room, mm -hmm. and I'll tell you why. We're in the laundry room, and you can just hear the wind. And if you've been in a hurricane, you can hear it. It's whistling. Yeah. Uh, and I can just hear this banging on the roof, just bam, 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 and you would hear it. So I was thinking, it's either one or two things. <laughs> either the neighbor's roof has now come under ours, or our roof is getting ready to get out of here. Yeah. Um, and if that happens, you know, now we're in some real trouble. Um, and see, what what I knew that I don't think most people realize is 
what makes hurricanes so dangerous is one, they're there pretty much all day. I mean, it's nine, 10 hours of just wind constantly banging on your home. The second thing is hurricanes have tornadoes in them. Mm. That's what makes them so dangerous. And so I knew, you know, if this thing goes, we could be in a whole lot more trouble because then, you know, you've got tornadoes just all out there. So I remember at that point having some thoughts as of (laughs) thinking, um, yeah, it's a pretty young age to be in this kind of a situation. God, if you're out there, uh, we could use a little safety here, you know. So those kind of things, um, just being afraid and knowing that there is a God and maybe I should start praying to him because I don't want this roof to come off. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I'm I'm not going to sit here and say it was something genuine. It wasn't. It was one of those things where, okay, I kind of need God right now, mm. so I'm going to pray to Him. Yeah. Uh, it, it wasn't, you know, uh, you know, one of those, you know, Lord, if you keep the roof on, I'll serve you the rest of my life. It wasn't, it wasn't one of those. Um, the one when I was eight was, uh, I wouldn't say so because we had, um, I had some family members that were a couple homes up the street. We had to go out almost in the middle of the storm and get them because their uh, house was in trouble. Mm. We had to go, you know, get them down to bring them down to us. So, and and if I'm being honest, uh, for an eight year old, I don't know, maybe if it speaks to <laughs> to my personality, but that was more of an adventure. Yeah, and then kind of a yeah, let's go, you know. Yeah, and but you know, when you're young, you don't think you're not yeah. thinking death. Uh, yeah, right. You're not thinking sharp objects flying yeah um so that that one uh didn't have that effect on me but i do remember praying because we were in that laundry room for hours yeah and we're just hearing that banging that banging and i'm just thinking it it's kind of like picture a washer and a dryer and then there's a door off to the left and it's just a that's just a small hall and i'm just we're just in there for hours and i'm just thinking i need the roof to stay on and i need that door to stay on Mm. either one of those goes you know, and then because we had left my mom's room and sort of retreated to the laundry room, I didn't know what was going on in the rest of the house because you just don't know. The wind mm-hmm. could have gotten in and started, you know, maybe bust out a couple more glasses. Yeah, you know, uh, bust out a couple more windows. So yeah, it was it was uh, there was some praying involved there. Hmm. Yeah. So eventually, you go to college in Tennessee. Yes. How did that all happen, and um, <laughs> how did that experience begin to, to shape your worldview? So I'm going to tell you a story that nobody will ever hear before. Ooh. They never heard before, and they'll never hear it again. I went to college based on my high school girlfriend, okay? Yeah. So, um, okay, so, I, I, and I'll just, just throw this in. So in Maryland, hit the islands when I was in 10th grade, early that school year, September. So I left the islands because at that point they were kind of talking about holding everyone back a year because the damage was so bad. I told my mom, I said, I don't want to spend another year in 10th grade. Yeah, Can we work something out? So I had family in Florida. So we decided that I was going to live with my grandmother in Florida for just that year and then come back for 11th and 12th grade. So that's what I did. I went to Florida for 10th grade. Uh, Fort Lauderdale, came back and finished up high school in the islands. 
So it's time to look for college. And <laughs> my girlfriend at the time had her sister lived in uh, Murfreesboro, Tennessee. Okay. Uh, in Murfreesboro, Tennessee is a university named Middle Tennessee State University, MTSU. So she decided that's where she was kind of looking. She wanted to go be with her sister because she was the youngest of either five or six. And so she hadn't really seen her sister a lot. So she was like, hey, great opportunity. I'm going to go to college, live yeah. with my sister. And of course, her sister was like, yeah, you know, come live with me. So I said, I'm going to go to Tennessee too. Yeah. <laughs> right? So what I did was I applied to the same school, MTSU. I applied to Tennessee Tech. And because I was such a fan of it, I actually applied to, as well, the University of Florida because um, I did want to go there. Uh, I did not have the grades to get into University of Florida. And to be honest with you, in hindsight, knowing what I know now, it was so naive to apply to the University of Florida because you're competing against all those kids from Florida. Yeah. First of all, who have, you know, they're probably, if not valedictorians and salutatorians, really good grades. Yeah. Uh, you know, so they're only letting in the top of the top. So here I am, I'm coming from the islands with not as good as grades that they would have. Yeah. It was just, but I did. And so I got, you know, rejected from University of Florida and then I got accepted to both of the schools in Tennessee. So logic would tell you, or you would assume that I went to Middle Tennessee. Something in me said, no, go to Tennessee Tech. Yeah. Just, just go to Tennessee Tech. I had some, uh, some pamphlets, and I kind of looked at both of them. And even though the other school would have put me right there with my girlfriend, I was like, uh, I want to go to the other one. Yeah. And then I kind of did the math, and not the math, but figured out that the schools were about an hour and a half away. So I said, you know what? It'll be fine. I'm just going to go you know, to the one where I kind of felt like I was, that probably was the first, I would say, sort of, you know, the Bible talks about God directing our steps. Yeah. And I would say that was probably the first, if I'm looking at a chain of events, hmm. that's, I would say that's the second link in the chain in terms of bringing me to, to Christ. Hmm. Uh, the first one I would say actually is uh, that girlfriend from high school actually got me my first Bible. Uh, she was a Christian, and she uh, gave me my first Bible. And I actually, um, not too long after she gave it to me, I sat down in one day and read the whole Torah. First five books of the Bible, I couldn't mm -hmm. put it down. Yeah, I mean, I was just amazed. Um, How old were you? Uh, this would have been when I was in 11th grade, so 16. So you, you went to Lutheran church your whole life up until that point. And did yes. not have a Bible. No, I did not have my own Bible. Yeah. And so uh, you weren't really reading the Bible for yourself at no, all. No. No. Yeah. I, I okay. probably... Um, I don't think that's all that uncommon. Man. No, no, no. <laughs> I mean, like, I think yeah. it's pretty normal yeah. for our day and age. Yeah. I mean, it's... it's. I mean, in, in a lot of homes, the Bible is like a decorative... Yeah. I mean, I've seen... Like if you pay attention sometimes on TV or different things, you'll see it sort of as a decorative piece. Yeah, It'll say Holy Bible on it and yeah, it just kind of lets you know, okay, this, you know, we, we affiliate with this religion. Yeah. But it doesn't necessarily mean 
we actually read that thing over there. Yeah. <laughs> the old dust on the Bible joke, right? Get the yeah. Get the dust off of it. So, and it was, you know, if I showed it to you, you'd probably be familiar with it. But it had it was it was it was a teen study Bible. Yeah. And it looked scrambled, and it had like pink and black and blue and yeah on the front of it. And um, yeah, so she she gave me that Bible, and so that I was so I would say that's probably the first the first link in the chain. Mm-hmm. And then, so then I decided to go to Tennessee Tech. Yeah. And I get there, I had, it's in Cookville, Tennessee. I'd never been there before, never been to Tennessee before. Pretty different than the islands. Pretty different. <laughs> and I'm, I'm, I can be very adventurous, right? And very, yeah. and just say, you know what? Let me just do it. Let me just, I've never done it before. I've never been there, you know? Yeah. And so I go and um, we get there, and <laughs> we're driving around, and I'm like, "Man, this is di- <laughs> this is different. Yeah. This is different." And at the time, it's gotten a lot better now. But at the time, even the logistics of of Tennessee, Cookville, Tennessee, you kind of, I'm driving around, and I'm like, "Man, I haven't seen any black people." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I knew from what I had read in the pamphlets that it wasn't, you know. It wasn't some HBCU, you know what I mean? But, sure. uh, but I do remember thinking, man, there's, you know, I've seen like one person. Um, so anyway, so that's how I get to uh, get to Tennessee Tech. So that's how I, that's how I transitioned from Virgin Islands to Tennessee was going to college and deciding that I wanted to be close to my girlfriend uh, at the time. Now you, you told me you became a Christian at a Fellowship of Christian Athletes yes. event. Yes. How did that all happen? So, at Tennessee Tech, we have an area called the Quad, and it's kind of this hangout spot. And then back then, I think maybe they still have it. And I think it was eleven o'clock to twelve o'clock. It was called Dead Hour, where there were no classes, nothing going on. And so students would just be hanging out. So I'm on the quad, and a guy comes up to me named Bert. <laughs> um, for, I think I believe his full name was Robert White, but we just call him Bert. And let me tell you about Bert, because this is, it's just, let me tell you about Bert. Bert, if you caught him with shoes on, <laughs> that was abnormal. Bert did not wear shoes, okay? Just rugged. Yeah. I mean, this guy, but full of Christ, man. Like, it didn't even matter that he didn't wear shoes. I mean, just a lovable guy. I could still see his smile. Just kind of tall. He was probably about 6'3". I would give him 6'3", 6'4". And he didn't know anything about me. So he walks up to me on the quad, and he's like, hey, man, what's your name? I said, oh, my name's Kareem. What's your name? Oh, I'm Bert, you know. And he goes, yeah, me and some friends over there, we're just kind of hanging out. He said, hey, we got, uh, we got FCA tonight. You should come check it out. No, he said, he said uh, are you familiar with FCA? And I said, no. He said, well, we got, you know, we got a meeting tonight. You should come check it out. And I was like, okay. Now, you played basketball, right? No, played baseball. Baseball, okay. Yeah. And what did he play? No, he didn't play anything. Okay. Yeah. All no, right. I didn't play. I didn't play baseball in college. Oh. Okay. Played baseball growing up. Gotcha. Um, a little bit through high school, and then that was, that was the end of that because I had some back issues that eventually led to back surgery and just yeah. Okay. Um, but yeah, he didn't play. He didn't. 
he didn't play any sports. If he played any sports, his coaches would not have allowed him to walk yeah. around campus <laughs> barefoot. barefoot. Yeah. I mean, he just, this guy was, you know, hiker and biker and just uh, just an outdoors guy. Um, so he invites me. Yeah. And I go and change my whole life. Huh. And I always think about that story because the only thing he did was ask me my name, asked me what I was doing, or had I heard of the group before, and invited me. Yeah. It was just that simple. It wasn't, you know, some big sermon he gave, just nothing. And, uh, you know, based on the smile on his face and just how approachable he was. Um, so I go to the meeting, and I meet all these Christian people, man. Yeah. In college, on fire. Part of the... Uh, what was a little bit of a blessing and a curse was all of the people that I became friends with in FCA were like seniors. Mm. So the next year they were gone. So yeah. I had to kind of like make new new friends. But because they were seniors, they were sort of the leaders of that organization yeah. on campus. And they just uh, welcomed me in. I've told my wife before. I've told other people. If I didn't know that I was black, I would not have known based on how they treated me. Like, mm. It was just, you wouldn't think it was anything at all. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, you wouldn't think that I was from somewhere else, or uh, you'd think we were friends for years. And so um, they invited me. He invited me. I go, I go to maybe about one or two meetings. And then all of a sudden, they start promoting this weekend trip called FCA Advance. I'm like, okay, that sounds pretty cool. So they kind of, you know, plug it here and there every every weekly. So as it gets closer, you know, some of my friends come to me and they're like, hey, are you going to FCA Advance? Well, I had already known that, you know, it was off in the woods somewhere. (laughs) We're in in the, you know, we're in parts of Tennessee that, uh, yeah. So The Appalachia. Yeah, yeah. So I said, you know what? No, I'm not going out there with you guys. <laughs> I don't know what's out there. You know what I yeah, mean? Like, right. I don't know who's out there. I don't know what. I'm not going. Yeah. So as it gets closer, they're like, no, no, you should come. So then I don't remember who, but somebody along the way, uh, and it may have been like 70 bucks. It wasn't like a lot of money now to a broke college student. It's like yeah, $70. Right. Uh, but somebody offered to pay my way. And so I said, you know what? Fine, I'll go. <laughs> so leading up to this meeting... We would go to uh, Cracker Barrel sometimes in the morning. We would go to uh, Shoney's um, and kind of hang out after meetings. So I was with uh, these Christians a lot, right? And I I mentioned that because it's going to come into the story later. So we go to the conference. And the way these conferences are set up, you know, there's a welcoming sort of on Friday you know, and then the Friday night service, Saturday. And let me tell you, man, first of all, have you ever been to these college weekend retreats? I mean, I've led worship at weekend retreats for college kids, but not with FCA. Okay. So, you know, when you have that many young people and they say, this weekend we are going to worship, yeah. it is electric yeah. in that place. And right. you, I know, I mean... Anybody that's been in that atmosphere, I would compare it to 
going to a college game, but on the flip side of things, right. where it is, there's this excitement, yeah. there's this expectation, uh, they're expecting the Spirit to fall. They're yeah. expecting to, for the Holy Spirit to be there. So it's just, you have all, you know, hundreds of kids from, and, and the way it was, it was it was the FCA from Tennessee Tech, but also the FCA from UT Knoxville from mm. maybe, you know, five or six different colleges. So you got yeah. all these college students that have come to seek God this weekend, to worship, to just lift him up. So it's, you know, yeah. it's game on, man. So we get there the Friday night and, you know, worship's going on and it's, uh, you know, the worship is really good. And I'm like, man, this is, because at this point I've never been in anything like that because even though I was going to FCA Advance, the worship at the university was not even, on, it was on a grander scale yeah, yeah, at this yeah. conference. Right. And so that was my first worship experience where it was like, you know, hundreds of people my age just, you know, going after it, man. And I was like, you know, so I'm kind of in there and, you know, they've got their, so I'm, I guess I'll, <laughs> I'll, I'll raise mine too, yeah, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> it's, it's, I mean, you look across the room and everybody's hands are raised. Yeah. So just... Almost by proxy alone, you say, well, I've got to raise mine. I mean, yeah. you know, and so then when you do, you realize, oh, wow, this feels great. You yeah. know, and it's, and there's no, you know, so anyway. It's not like that at the Lutheran church. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, I don't even think people are standing at any point except to get up and leave, right? So, um, so. We get in there, so this guy, you know, praise and worship, they welcome us for the weekend. So this guy comes up to speak, and he gives a sermon on, I don't remember what. Yeah. At the end of the sermon, uh, there comes an altar call, mm. right? So he says, um, you know, we'd like to invite anyone who would like to accept Christ. It's always a very interesting scenario because you have, you have two sets of college students there. You have the ones that are saved and you have the ones that have been invited yeah. to kind of be saved, right? Right. I mean, just just kind of how you you could kind of break it down that way. Yeah. So the guy's talking and there's that, so then I get that tugging mm-hmm. and I, everybody I tell this story, they go, yeah, I know what that tugging is, mm-hmm. where the, the spirit is saying, okay, now it's your time. Mm-hmm. Well, I decided, <laughs> nah, <laughs> I'm not going there. Um, yeah. I'm not going to get up. And so um so he you know he does his thing and I said so essentially at this point I'm I'm cuz I'm I'm really thinking now and I'm thinking I'm just going to wait this guy out. Yeah, right. Cuz at some point he's going to, you know, pass off the mic, we're going to move on to the next part of the service. So the guy goes, "I still feel yeah. <laughs> that there's someone in here that needs to come up. Yeah. And God is really tugging on you to to make this your your choice right now. And I'm still cool. I'm not getting up. I'm not. Mm-mm. So then he says that again. And I'm thinking, <laughs> I can wait this guy out all night because he doesn't know it's me. I know it's me. Yeah. He doesn't know it's me. But then he says something. And I said, okay, I, I can't do this anymore. He says, there's still, this is like the fourth time now. And, and in between, it's not like he's doing it consistently. There's about I would say five minutes between because when he does it again, other people have have come up. Yeah, and that's another thing I'm thinking too as well. 
yeah, here you go. There's more people. He'll, yeah. he'll get off of it soon, right? So then he says, this is the last time I'm going to do this. There's somebody in here that needs to come up here. And this is how I knew. This is probably the first time I would say I really believed in the Spirit of God because it was mm. very specific. He said, the person that I'm referring to, he said, all of the friends that you have think you're saved, but you're actually not. And that's why I said it was important for me to tell you that we would go and hang out after mm-hmm. these meetings. Yeah. Because this happened February 18th, mm. uh, 1999. Okay. So you're looking at from the beginning of the school year, essentially, I started going to FCA maybe like mid September. All the way to February, I'm hanging out with these guys every week. Mm. I see them on campus. We we meet at FCA. We're hanging out. We're doing this with them. I wasn't saved. Yeah. How so did in, you know you weren't saved? Because I had never accepted Christ. I would never gotten on my knees or had that moment where I said, you know what, Christ? I accept uh, your salvation, and I accept that into my life. I receive it by faith. I would never said that. And I knew from a lot of the teaching that I'd been getting at FCA and now different places because I was also going to a church that that was the process of being saved. You needed to, you know, make some sort of verbal, yeah. you know, to say, hey, this is what I want. Confess I want to be mouth. saved. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, I had never done that. I just kind of been around it and, yeah. and I was very comfortable. So when he said that, he said, all of your friends and everybody you hang around think you're saved, but you're not. Mm. And I thought, oh. <laughs> 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 oh man and once you know it I was the only person that got up mm. and so it, it it was one of those things where it's like God was reaching mm. and he kept reaching and he kept reaching and he thought I'm gonna reach one more time that's I know such a pride check man yeah <laughs> <laughs> and he reached one more time, and, 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 and there was something sort of pronounced about when the guy said, okay, this is the last time I'm going to say it. Yeah. You know, and I got up. So this is funny. I'm, I'm on the row. I'm in the middle of the row. The row is probably about 10 seats, you know. And I get up, and everybody, because everybody from the chapters were sitting together sort of in big groups, right, obviously. And I stand up, and every, all of my friends... <laughs> Looked to me like, what? Yeah. You're not saying, like, we, you know, we just, because they had assumed I was, because we yeah. were hanging out and all that. And they just kind of looked at me and they just, the first look was kind of like, huh? Like, but then the second look was one of, man, we so glad you stood up, mm-hmm. you know? And so I go down and at this point, I'm a little bit of an emotional wreck. Yeah. Because, because the moment sort oh, of yeah. starting to hit me. Uh, getting goosebumps in the back of my neck just think about it yeah so um, so I get up there and the guy kind of looks at me and he kind of looks at me like yeah like I've been waiting for you kind of you know and so so then he kind of you know tells us a couple of things so then he says okay everybody that came up to the front we're gonna go and we're gonna go outside and we're gonna pray so this is February in Tennessee okay <laughs> Hope you brought your coat. It is about <laughs> it is about twenty yeah. something degrees because this is at night now. Yeah, I mean, we're in the nighttime. Yeah, uh, and we're in that time of the year where the sun goes down. You yeah, know, it's gone. It's gone at five thirty. So we're in the woods, 
And uh, so they take us outside. Yeah. This is another moment where I realize there's something different going on here. Mm. You have a you have a guy from the islands. I should be freezing. Yeah. I left my coat inside because yeah. I had no idea we were gonna have to go outside. Yeah. So when I because when we were inside, you didn't need it. So yeah. I just had on you know a regular shirt. Actually, we had these FCA shirts. I think we had made for the trip. And um, so I go outside. And they kind of have us in this circle, and we're holding hands. And there's a guy in the middle, and he's praying for us. And never once did I feel cold. Mm-hmm. It was almost like this warm feeling mm-hmm. that I had on the inside that was enough to even keep me warm on the outside. Yeah. And and because and I didn't realize it till I went back inside, and one of my friends was like, "Hey, man, you forgot your jacket." And I thought I didn't need it. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like I just did need it, and so that was uh, that. That's that's how I got saved, man. He Bird invited me, and I guess a lot of the meetings that I went to, sort of in hindsight, were sort of seeds that were being planted. You know, leading up to that moment where, um, you know, I, I kind of toggled with the with the spirit, um, but. When when that guy said what he said, I knew that was God speaking. There's, it was just too specific yeah. to what I was because my thinking at the time was I'm not getting up because if I get up, they're gonna all know that I'm not saved. Because actually, my part of my thinking was too is I'll just do this later. Yeah, right. I'm not gonna go up there and you know I'll just do it later. Right. I'll, I'll handle it later. Yeah. <laughs> so when he said you don't want to come up here. Because all of your friends think you're saved, but you're actually not. And you can feel God tugging on you to make this mm. change tonight. And I thought, okay, this is, that, that's for me. That's my, I can't miss this one. Um, and so, yeah. Man, that's really cool. Uh, and I bet coming from a Lutheran perspective early on, like the gifts of the Holy Spirit and like miraculous stuff is not something you really had in your worldview yeah. at that point. Yeah. So I'm sure that make it even that not just becoming a Christian, but having that warmth when it's cold. Yeah. Kind of puts a it's like putting a pebble in your shoe. You're like, what's what's this about? Yeah, yeah. Is there more? Yeah. yeah. You know? Yeah. I remember um there was a time when I was when I was doing home church, house church stuff. And this guy came up to me afterward, and this is in this is in like late July. In Houston, so blazing hot. It's kind of like an opposite story, yeah, yeah, okay? Yeah. And he's like, "I need you to pray for me about some stuff." And he was wrestling with some some different like addiction kind of things. And he asked if we would like come against some evil spirit kind of stuff. And we did. It was outside, and it's. I mean, it is blazing hot and humid, you know. <laughs> and stuff came out. And as it, as it came out, he's like. I feel this cool water rolling off my back. Mm. Yeah. I mean, it, it's so hot. And yeah. he's like feeling so cool. Yeah. Like yeah. he's being washed. Yeah. Just weird stuff like that yeah. happens that's not really in. Like I grew up Southern Baptist. Yeah. Also like cessationist. Yeah. That stuff never happens. <laughs> we don't talk about that, you know. But it does happen. Yeah. Just weird things like that where yeah. God confirms his movement yeah. in our life. He knows exactly how to talk to us in that moment. You yeah. Know? And I think what happens a lot of times is you get 
like you said, you get things that in the natural. Yeah. Uh, because I think when we don't, not only, but most of the times we're thinking naturally. Yeah. So God almost has to interject and flip our natural thinking to realize, oh, there's something else going on here. Yeah. It's not normal what's going on right now. Yeah. Uh, and that I think that's probably, I mean, the best way to get our attention anyway, mm. because we want to always think so naturally and through logic, right? And through sometimes uh, wisdom, I think, can be a bad thing because we're so wise that we can't think outside of that, you know, and, and God's not in this box of, well, this is supposed to go this way, yeah. right? And so sometimes I think he interjects himself in a way that we go, that's got to be God. So how did God continue to change your thinking from that point? So, um, I would say, okay, so in there, uh, well, not in there, probably a little bit after that, I ended up uh, <laughs> joining this choir in in college. I didn't know you were a singer. Well, no. In choirs, <laughs> you harmonize. That uh, takes some skill, man. No, 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 no. Let me be honest. <laughs> There were a lot of people in this choir that could sing, and I was sort of blending in with their beautiful voices. <laughs> That's the best way I can explain it. Uh, I I cannot do solos. I cannot, but I can I can harmonize within within a choir. Yeah, but it's different from actually knowing how to sing. Um, so I joined this choir, and in this choir, I start to meet a lot of other students who were raised in church. Mm. And so I started, that's when I started to learn about really like Southern Baptist and Pentecostal and Catholic and all these different things. And what did they actually mean to, you know, my friends? And, and I watched a lot of them struggle mm. um, with what they knew from growing up. Now they're on their own and they're seeing a different kind of Christ. They're actually reading their Bibles now. So they're being confronted with, wait a minute, I've done this all my life, but I I, I can't find it in here. Mm. Where is it? Mm. Uh, and so they're struggling. And so in terms of myself, it was easier, I say, for me to just kind of raw accept Christ. Mm. This is what it is. Um, and then I started doing a lot of reading. Right. I mean, I would spend hours reading my Bible. Mm. Um, and so I started to develop a lot of beliefs. Um, and I would try to, what I would try to do, and, and a, uh, a friend of mine um, told me this in FCA, he said, read the red, mm. right? Read the red, meaning, you know, yeah. Bible, red words, read the red, read the teachings of Christ. He kind of, because one of the things was, okay, where do I sort of begin to dig in and try to find, you know, what this Bible is really teaching for every, because I went from knowing of the Bible and sort of being around it and being around these Christians to, okay, now I'm a Christian. Yeah. Now, how does this fit in for me? Yeah. You know, and um, so just... Uh, being able to read it some sort of from an, I don't want to say, um, I don't want to say tainted, but there, there was, 
there was just I could just read it for what it was mm-hmm. because I had not had years and years and years of this is what this means and this is what this doesn't mean and you know yeah um, and so I think <laughs> my view of Christ really did play a role with relationship mm. with Christ like I never got into the religion side of it because I just wasn't you know what I mean like I just I was never on that side mm. it was always about the relationship and the more I studied the relationship the more I understood that it is about relationship and not because religion is a set of rules right mm. uh, but the relationship with Christ now the outcome in certain things may look the same but the uh, sort of root of that is going to be different. Yeah, right? motivation. Yeah, you know, like somebody might say, well, I don't curse, right? So a guy who says it out of religion will say, well, the Bible says don't curse. Mm-hmm. Well, the guy who's doing it out of relationship would say, you know what? Life and death are in the power of the tongue. I don't want to use my tongue for that. Or if I'm doing that, it's going to further me away from Christ. It's going to further me away from my purposes. Mm-hmm. I may not be able to speak to certain people because... They heard me cursing over here. You know what I mean? Like it yeah. comes from a different motivation, right? Um, and so the motivation for me was never religion-driven. Uh, I didn't have a set of rules to live by. <laughs> yeah. And so when I when I found Christ, it was about building that relationship and seeing where that came from. And I went to um, a church in Cookville, Tennessee, called New Covenant, and these people just wrapped their arms around me. It was a very small church. Uh, the pastor at the time was a guy named Eric Mumford. And <laughs> I'll never forget, uh, it wasn't unusual to see him preach a sermon and cry. Like in the middle of the sermon. I remember a couple of times he couldn't even finish the sermon Yeah, because he was crying. I mean, he was so genuine. He yeah. was so passionate. Uh, him and his wife ended up leaving the church because the church had a lot of dealings with, um, they were doing a lot of mission work in the Ukraine. And God just kept putting it on his heart to go to Ukraine, go to Ukraine, go to Ukraine. Mm. And so finally him and his wife just said, we got to go. Mm. And so they left, they went to the Ukraine and I think started a church there, as a matter of fact. Um, but um, there were some families there that was just amazing. What denomination was this? It was a uh, non-denominational. Okay. Yeah. Did they have a particular leaning? Like were they more um, like reformed or do you know? I do not. I, okay. So I will say like, for example, um, uh, they spoke in tongues there. Okay. But when they did, there was an interpretation given. Hmm. You know what I mean? Like it was very, Yeah. I felt like what I saw there was what the Bible taught. Mm. You know what I mean? Like, um, so, you know, they would do that. They would have, uh, they believed in, in like, there were certain people in the church that were that were called prophets, mm-hmm. and they would prophesy. Like, for example, they had a, uh, like, a senior night every year. Yeah. And they would have all the members of the church that were seniors in college or mm-hmm. in high school. And the prophets of the church would just prophesy over them, you know, and they would kind of, you know, tell them what they thought God was showing them in terms of uh, the life of this teen um, or not a teenager if they were in college. Uh, But 
I did notice that. How can I put this? When they would prophesy, it it I felt like I could still read my Bible and see what they were actually telling them. Mm. You know what I mean? Like like a lot of times it was based on God. It would be something like God wants to use you in a very special way, right? God wants to use you to speak to men. You know, God wants to, and 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 it, there was always sort of this affirming of staying in God's word to be able to accomplish whatever it is you were trying to do. Yeah. Um, so I don't know what what that would be, but they would do, you know, they would have, they would prophesy, they would speak in tongues, there would be interpretation. Um, and we, they would have these uh, like flags up in the church, like all these sort of uh, Christian type flags. And, um, but it was a, it was a, it was a powerful church. And I actually got baptized in at the homes of one of these members of the church uh really nice home to me it was it was a a home that was in walking distance from the campus did um, you begin to see some of the gifts of the holy spirit be prevalent or just um selectively used through you either way i would say um, well, I guess, well, <laughs> not necessarily, because hospitable is kind of like... Uh, Command. We're supposed to be hospitable. Yeah, yeah. So it wasn't, that wasn't, because I wouldn't say uh, speaking in tongues. Now, I have spoken in tongues before, uh, but it was not something that was done in public. Yeah. Um, that was in That was in private prayer. Yeah. Um, but I would say definitely the gift of teaching uh-huh. is one that, um, that I think I began to see because then what would happen is I would end up sharing what I knew with others, mm-hmm. but being able to share it in a way that you could co- sort of get it. Cause mm-hmm. I've actually spoke to people before, before I was saved and even after where, <laughs> They're so up here that it's it's like you have to be sort of deeply rooted to even keep up with them in a conversation, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Like they're so so they can share the word with you, but sometimes it's, it doesn't come across as as something someone teaching you. Right. It comes across as someone sort of sharing information, but not necessarily breaking down what you need to know. Mm. Um, so I would definitely say. Uh, the gift of teaching um, in terms of becoming more prevalent. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, that's cool, man. Um, And I'm sure that speaking in tongues thing was a bit shocking that first time. Yeah. Like, where did did that come from? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. Um, So, okay. I'm not asking you to do that if you if you don't want to tell you don't have to. I well, was just kind of making a reflective comment. Yeah, yeah. No, I. So my best friend in uh, college, who uh, unfortunately passed away about eleven years ago. My daughter's eleven. She was not too long born before he passed away. He came from a Kojic church. Okay. Yes. Yeah. 
Yes, Black Kojic Church and Church of God in Christ. Oh yes. Yeah. And so, you know, he was all about some tongues and yeah. Uh so I had being around him and like like I'll give you an example. There would be times we would be in choir practice. Okay. And we're just warming up. Yeah. And just room gets real heavy. Yeah. Okay. And you can tell something's going on because people start crying. They stop singing. Before you know it, you know, spirits in the room. Yeah. And this is from practice. This is not the actual concert. Um, and I always love that because once again, you had expectation mm. in the room. Right, we're worshiping the Lord through song because we would open up in prayer, and it sort of would set this tone. And you could always even tell too when we when we weren't sort of uh, doing it from the right place because we'd be singing, but there'd be no no connection to what we're actually singing. We're just singing. That's awesome that y'all would have the that there was an environment that allowed for interruption. Oh yes, from God. Oh yes, it, it was. I remember a couple of practices where we were getting ready to go to sing uh, because what we would try to do is the people that were in the choir, we would try to go to their home churches in their different towns around Cookville and see if their pastor would let us, you know, sing a couple of songs. And then we always had a concert at the end of the semester. Mm. So I remember on a couple of occasions trying to get ready for these Sunday concerts at, you know, local churches and the spirit just interrupting, and we don't even finish the practice. Yeah. And so when we leave, we're like, well, I guess we'll just sing this song when we get there. But we just knew if God wanted us to finish that practice, yeah. then he would have let He would have let us. But no, he interrupted. Yeah. So he must have some grand plan of how this is going to go when we go sing, you know, this Sunday. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so that, that there was there was space for that. And I think that was probably my first introduction yeah. to really tongues and that can, because there were students in there who, once again, they're coming from all these different backgrounds, right? So Pentecostal, yeah. Kojic. So, you know, they're kind of, you know, speaking in tongues and I'm like, okay, I've, you know, read about this in the Bible, yeah, that kind of thing. And so you, um, you know, you start to, because even in one of those practices, once again, I remember, Somebody speaking in tongues, somebody giving the interpretation. Hmm. These are college students. Okay? Yeah. These are not grown, mature people with families and spouses. I mean, these are young college students who are, for the most part, just on fire yeah. and just seeking after God. Um, not doing it perfectly, but striving for it, you know, nonetheless. So, um, so anyway... Uh, <laughs> so, so one day, uh, I'm praying and I'm reading about it, right? And it's talking about, you know, praying in tongues and how, you know, if you're doing it, uh, it's it's a language, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but if you're going to do it in public, there needs to be some interpretation. Yeah. First but Corinthians 14. Stuff. There you go. Yeah. So I'm praying by myself and I just... Like I'm praying and I just felt like this overwhelming sort of feeling. And as I'm 
as that's happening, I, I kind of feel myself just like saying things that were not really mm-hmm. like English. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And I think at the time, the feeling that I had was so overwhelming, I kind of knew it was the spirit. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I think I had read enough and, and sort of prayed about it enough to know that that was not something I never felt ever the urge to just do that in public, yeah. in a public setting. Um, and I never felt like that was a gift of mine in terms of, you know, to be able to do that or to interpret it for that matter. Yeah. Uh, that's a, it's, it's obviously a, <laughs> the most controversial of the gifts. Mm. Uh, but it's, to me, it's very the most unique of the gifts because I feel like, um, you can have it, but that doesn't necessarily mean it's for yours to be used in public either. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, because the Bible says it creates confusion. Yeah. I mean, to the person that doesn't believe, they're just like, ah, it doesn't make any sense to me. Yeah. You know? Um, unless there's an interpretation. Unless there's an interpretation. Specifically for them. Yes. Where they're like, uh-oh. Yeah. Yeah. Because <laughs> I know you, I, you know, you've been a Christian for a while. I know you've seen video. You've been in situations where somebody is just man. They're speaking in tongues, man. Yeah. But but it's it it's not connected to any interpretation. Yeah. I mean, it's just going on and on. It's like okay, because it because then it does reflect upon. Because the issue that I did begin to see was, uh, the more you spoke in tongues, the more sort of spiritual you are seen as right mm. it's kinda... which ironically is fleshly yeah <laughs> so that that was sort of the connection i started to see uh with sort of the abuse of that gift if if you will yeah um because it it like i said there have been times um i've se- i would say about four times i've been somewhere where well a little bit more than that but Somebody speaks speaks in an unknown tongue, and there's an interpretation, and yeah. it really does edify the room. Yeah, because then it's almost like there's no doubt that God is here. Yeah, because now He's really speaking to us. Because I remember being at a church in Florida, and it happened, and a lady, all the way on one side of the church, just starts speaking in tongues very loudly. This is the middle of praise and worship, and she's just speaking in tongues, and then all the way. <laughs> On the other side, another lady just starts interpreting and saying, you know, clearly interpreting what that lady just said. And as she's interpreting, I mean, people are just being convicted. You could just just feel it in the room because it was, I remember it being a message of, you know, not taking God seriously and Mm. and not not connecting with him on a level that we should be connecting on. And just you could just feel the conviction in the room, um, but you take that same scenario, that lady, uh, you know, she's speaking in tongues and all this stuff, and there's no interpretation. Well, nobody's been edified. Yeah. Nobody knows what she said. I mean, you know what I mean. So it's it's um, when 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 that gift is used correctly, it's a very powerful thing. Um, but when it's not can be very confusing. So um, 
Marriage can be like that. (laughs) (laughs) When it's lived out correctly, it's a very powerful thing. When it's not... Can be confusing, I guess. Yes. You know, so so yes. tell me, how did um, how did you and Candace meet, and how did God play a role in that? So, we met in college, uh, but we did not date in college. As a matter of fact, when we were in college, I was dating someone else; she was dating someone else. Um, so I knew her, and we'd had a couple of conversations. Um, so I knew her; she knew me. Not like. You know, like we were really good friends. We just knew of each other. Yeah. Um, and then I graduated, and then I went to Nashville, Tennessee. She graduated, stayed, and started working on, uh, not started working on, she got her master's from Tennessee Tech, and then left um, and came here to Houston. That's how I ended up in, in Houston. So... When she was here in Houston, I was actually, so I left, I went to Nashville, I went to Florida, then I ended up in Georgia in grad school. I had a bit of a, I call it my wandering years, sure. <laughs> where I went to Nashville and then I went to Florida. I didn't know what I was doing. I was living with my grandmother uh, and she kept pressing me to, to sort of like kick me out. And at the time I didn't appreciate it, but it was actually... The best thing for me, yeah, because I didn't get complacent, and I was like, "Man, I got to get out of here!" Like, you know, uh, so it, it was the best thing for me. So I stayed there maybe, I think I stayed there like six months, and in that time frame, it was that hurricane season, yeah, two thousand four, where it was just like one hurricane after the other. I think one was like Ivan. One of them was so big it was like the the size of the state of Texas. I mean, mm. it was it was insane how big those hurricanes were. Um, so. I went to Tennessee, Nashville, Tennessee, then Florida. Then I landed in Georgia for grad school. Well, when I was in Georgia, uh, I got um, her number from a mutual friend of ours uh, in college. And, you know, I kind of always thought, you know, she was good looking, all these different things. I was like, okay. So I said, yeah, give me give me her number. Because we were just talking. The mutual friend and I were just talking about, you know, college and all the people. And I said, do you have her number? She said, yeah, yeah. She said, yeah, I got a number. So she gave me the number. And I sent her a text message. Um, and I said, the text said, is this still Candace McLean's number? <laughs> and she still has the phone even a couple of times, I was like, yeah, you got to get rid of this old phone. She's like, no, this phone has a text message in it. So um, so she responded yes, and that's pretty much um, how we get from here to there. I mean, in terms of God, so I'm, uh, obviously I'm saved at this point. She's saved. And so we had a lot of conversations about God. Um, and she was raised in church. Um, it was called the Worldwide Church of God. Uh, think kind of like Seven Day Adventists yeah. in terms of their a lot of their a lot of similar doctrine. Um, and I brought that up to say her and her dad would talk about God all the time. They still do. Yeah. So 
conversations about God were very, we would have a lot of those. Yeah. And so God did play a role in, uh, in our relationship and how we sort of viewed the world. Um, and obviously it's played into how we've raised our kids and that kind of stuff. But, um, I would say that it was definitely a God thing. The way that when we met, we just kind of, we knew what we wanted. Yeah. And it happened fast, man. Like we dated for like right up to a year, got engaged and we're married six months later. Yeah. Like, you know, it wasn't one of these long relations. Like it was, you know, boom, boom, boom. Yeah. Um, And so I think that... um, God did play a huge role in how we sort of viewed each other, how we sort of viewed the world. Um, and, uh, yeah, it was very important to us. Yeah. And y'all have a couple of girls? We got a couple of girls. Yeah, how's, how's fatherhood changed your, uh, your worldview in a sense? Maybe your view of yourself, your view of God. Um... Well, my view of God has definitely been, I think, enhanced by uh, by my daughters. Yeah. Because you realize that, listen, man, there is only like a couple of things, and I mean that literally, that they could probably do where I would say, you know what, that one's really close to unforgivable. You know, like <laughs> you see these, you see these, you know, crime shows all the time, and these kids, you know, murder their parents or something. Sure. It's like, okay, that's a little bit much, right? <laughs> but in terms of, there's almost nothing, yeah, and I mean, very close to almost nothing they can do. Where first thing I want to know is, are you okay? Mm-hmm. That's the first thing. And then once we figure out that you're okay, okay, how can we now turn this around and go back the other way, mm. right? Like, you're always in a position of, let's move forward. I don't want to stay here. Yeah. Let's move forward with whatever it is. And that has helped me to see how God feels about us. I don't want you here. Let's move forward. Let's take the next step this way. Like, you're going to have those times where you, you know, you make that mistake. But God doesn't want to keep you there. And neither does a father to a daughter. Mm. How can we move forward, you know? Um, So... And I remember, <laughs> I remember years ago uh, when they were first born, right when one was about three and the other was one, you've written a book, you went through the process, you're a very uh, dedicated, sort of committed guy, way better than I am, because I wanted to write a book, but I never, I never followed through with it. And the concept of the book was going to be the relationship that my daughters sort of exposed to the relationship that God has with us. Mm. Um, you should write that book. <laughs> I mean, because I had all these like examples and all these things that were going on in the moment where it was like something would happen and God would so, sort of step in and say, see, the way you feel is how I feel mm. in terms of, you know, you want what's best for her. Mm. You want, you know, you want that, you don't want, you don't want her to be hurting. Yeah. Right. You know, a situation where something if if I say to her, you know, sweetie, don't touch the stove. Yeah. 
mm-hmm. right? And she touches the stove. Well, I told you not to touch the stove. I want what's best for you. I'm, that's why I'm telling you not to touch the stove. Not because I don't want to be a, you know, I want to be a dad that's just going to get in your way. But yeah. I'm actually providing you with information that's going to make it better for you. Right. You know, and that relationship, because sometimes as a, um, when you're growing up and your parents say you can't do something, you think it's, oh, you know, they're older. They don't know anything. But no, they're actually trying to provide a safe place for you. Yeah. You know, um, and so just learning, uh, you know, how that relationship works between a father and a child um, has helped with uh, being able to relate to how God. So I think one of the big takeaways is when I do something wrong, and I ask for forgiveness, I know that God is ready to move forward with me. Yeah. And it doesn't become some big guilt trip as it was before, I would say. That probably that was probably more of uh, before when I had my daughters, you would think, okay, am I forgiven? Am I okay? I think I'm okay. The Bible says I'm okay, but I'm not sure, right? Mm. But then you realize as a dad, you go, no, I'm good. I'm good because as I want to move forward with this and just you know put it behind us, we learn from it, we move on. God is the same way, yeah. you know, and I think that that was has been illuminated being a dad mm. that that has helped. So I th- we met in two thousand seventeen, I think. Yeah, something like that. <laughs> <laughs> and oh, man. Uh, man, we had some good conversations. It's weird, man. Like I wouldn't see you for a while. That I'd see you, we'd talk for about an hour and a half, and then I wouldn't see you or. Have mm-hmm. a long and then have another long conversation. Yep. So yep. I, eventually, I don't remember how, but you kind of started getting into the early Christian writings or Berceau's writings. Um, and I remember you saying that those. I mean, that was pretty powerful for mm-hmm. you. So, how? What? What was the first thing? If you can remember, maybe a couple of maybe early Christian quotes or themes that you ran into that begin to really impact you? Well, any information that I came across came from the recommendations you made. Uh, You were really the first person I talked to about it in terms of, like I'd spoken to people before uh, about, you know, the early Christians, that kind Mm. of stuff. But for some reason, there was this real, like, seeking to be like, okay, and I, and I I don't know. I think at the time I was just looking around at the church as a whole and just kind of thinking. And then you read Acts, right? And you see all these different <laughs> things in Acts. And you're like, how did this thing get from here to here, right? Yeah. How do you go from, you know, what we were doing in Acts 2 to now where we are? I mean. Talking about Acts 2, but looking nothing <laughs> like Acts 2. <laughs> so I thought to myself. What did it look like? Like even a little bit after, you know, that that sort of cut off from the Bible. Yeah. What did that look like? Because in anything, in anything, it's most pure, it's more genuine in mm. its inception. Yeah. Uh, so what does that look like from the beginning? And so I remember the conversations we had and I was like, I told Kansas, I asked Phil. 
And I think I sent you a text message or something, and I said, hey, what are the names, or maybe we had talked about, you know, what are the names of, where where can I start with this? Yeah. Some good, some good, where I can find documentation, you know, letters, maybe that kind of stuff. And then the first one you made was, where is it? The first, Christ, the early Christians. That was the first one I bought. Yeah. So I started reading that, and I was like, man. That's the Ebhard Arnold yeah. collection, yeah. Yeah. And just reading it and so I you know I highlight in books that I read and so I'm highlighting this I'm highlighting that and I'm looking at uh okay so you're gonna have to help me with some of the names but Tor T-O-R-T it's an apologist Tortillian Tertullian Tertullian yeah Tertullian um and then I started looking into uh some of the things that were going on with Constantine Mm -hmm. looking at um the book, uh, the kingdom that turned the world upside down. Mm. Um, it's bumper, at, so yeah, as we've talked about before, intimacy with God, yeah. um, and start looking at a lot of these, um, Octavius as well. Yeah. Right. And so start looking at a lot of these different guys and just looking at what they believed and, and how they believed. And I think, um, there's such a genuineness and a seriousness hmm. that we just don't have anymore. And I'm probably like at the front of the line in those convictions. Uh, but I mean, even on measures, and we've spoke about this, even, even on measures where they sort of went too far, yeah. there, there's, there was always this level of respect. Yeah. And there was always a level of community amongst believers um they seem to have really looked out for one another but and 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 I had not known a lot about the different times and levels of persecution yeah like you you hear a lot of things but I never actually sat down and like read and in one of the books um maybe it's the kingdom that turned the world upside down where the author was talking about how, if you look at the history of the church, that the the highest levels of persecution were the times when the gospel went out even more. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when the church got very complacent with a lot of things, we sort of stopped doing that, mm. which is, I think, some of what you see today. Mm. Um, because in America, we don't have real persecution now, some people, not everybody may agree with that statement, but to me, persecution is, persecution to me is a life or death issue, um, maybe even, you know, getting placed in jail. But if you lose your job because of your belief, we live in a country where in most uh, uh, avenues of business or whatever, you can just go get another one. Yeah. Uh, you know, if you're a teacher and you get fired because of some of your beliefs, you may be in a situation where you can just go to a Christian school and teach. Yeah. Right. Or there's different ways you can still sort of find ways to make money. But when someone says, hey, if you say that again, I'm going to take you and your family and we're going to execute you. That's persecution. Mm. And those times of persecution was when you would think the the Christians would sort of go, okay, okay, <laughs> I'm okay now. I'm not going to say anything. Yeah. And they would say, no, I'm going to shout it even louder now. 
Um, because what I'm saying has some effect for you to want to sort of take me out of the out of the way like this. Mm. And and they can see, and I think that's probably the issue we face today is the people back then that were persecuted saw the power of God in their lives. So they weren't afraid to share that with others, no matter what the cost. Mm. I don't know if we see the same power of God in our lives today that we would be willing to sacrifice for it, if that makes sense. Yeah. And so when you don't see it, you don't believe it to be that powerful. So it's not it's not a life or death issue for you. So it's like, okay, fine, I won't really I won't say anything. Yeah. You know? Um and I think, you know, we've got but granted, in parts of the world today, you do have that. You do have Christians that are I mean, we got Christians in jail right now being tortured. Oh yeah. Um you know, awaiting execution. They know what's coming. And unless uh, God intervenes in some unique way, they're going to die for their faith. Um, in most of those cases, I pray that they are comfortable with that decision, that they understand that, you know, dying for your faith is one of the most honorable ways. I think it's the most honorable way you can die. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're laying down everything for the love of Christ. Um, and the Bible talks about there being great reward for that. So, but I don't know if, um, especially here in America, and I can only speak for America because that's where we live, that I don't know if we believe in that power of God. I don't know if we see it manifest in our lives to where we're willing to lay down everything as they were. Mm. Um, but I got a lot of that from, so reading the early Christians and reading about the early Christians, uh, and sort of the the books that I've been reading sort of focus on the beginning to about three hundred, mm-hmm. right? Uh, and it, and I think I felt like I read about two different authors that kind of said, okay, after three hundred, it kind of started falling apart there. <laughs> yeah. So they kind of focus in on that time frame to sort of really find out, okay, what did these guys believe? You know, how was this sort of functioning? You know, at that time. Um, and so just being exposed to that literature, I think every Christian should do themselves a favor and read a lot of that literature because it's so important to figure out, you know, it's, it's kind of like if you if you go to a company, right, and you become, you know, the CEO of that company, it might behoove you to go back and look at how that company got started. What were the original owner's intention with that company? Right. I mean, if you're going to work for the company, you're going to know you need to at least know how it started. You know, mm-hmm. what were they thinking? That kind of thing. And so I did want to know, because like I said, we've got, is it hundreds of denominations now or is it thousands? I'm sh- <laughs> it's a whole lot. And so how do we get from one unified, you know, uh, giving of everything and um, or, or at least being able to. Bring something that you know your brother may need to no, they need to go out there and earn it for themselves. I'm not helping them out. Mm. That's, you know, they're being lazy. Or you see somebody in need. I mean, the Bible has some very strong language um, on if I see you and you need something and I have access to help you with it and I don't, the Bible has some very strong language on you know, calling that sin and saying, hey, that's not right. Mm. You know, um, 
because a lot a lot of times when you and in most cases when you help someone they're inclined to help others because now they even have the resources to help you know someone else and so um i think it's important that we remember uh how that kind of works in terms of treating each other and like you know <laughs> so i highlight in my bible you know you know about that and one of the things that i do is i highlight when the Bible talks about how we should treat others. Mm. And in there, um, you'll find a lot of different scriptures that sort of just show how that initial church, how the initial church would treat each other. Mm. Uh, it wasn't perfect, obviously. Yeah. Uh, it, it'll never be perfect because you are you can't get perfection out of imperfect people. Right. Uh, and the more people uh, you add to the mix, the less imperfect it becomes. But I still think there's a standard that we can obtain that we're not um, even in the imperfection. Yeah. And so I do see a lot of that um, in the writings, even something as simple as, um, you know, baptism. Mm. Um, they took baptism very seriously. Oh, yeah. Very seriously. Uh, if you got baptized, think of it this way. Today, we could baptize probably in the middle of a mall. <laughs> And maybe half of the crowd would applaud. The other half would be like, why are you guys doing this here? Go back to the beginning. Uh, public baptism, there literally could be someone in the crowd saying, that's the next family we're going to grab. Mm. Right? Yeah. Because now they have publicly admitted that they're going to spread their heresy or their blasphemy all over our region or whatever and so those people were now uh, marked. Yeah. And so um, I remember reading in the literature that uh, they would actually have two or three days of fasting yeah. before they baptized anyone because it was that serious. Yeah. And, they, and, and if you're taking two or three days to fast, you're going to be thinking about that during those two or three days. It's going to be at the front of your mind. Why am I doing this? Am I doing this for the right reasons? Once I do this, what next? What does this mean? Like there's so many questions that it would invoke that mm -hmm. you would say, yeah, they're going to take it seriously. Yeah. You know, It's almost like if uh, you got a job and the job said to you, you know what? You're good. You can start work Friday, but today is Tuesday. So between today and tomorrow, we want, we want to know what you're going to do when you come work for this company. So guess what? On Wednesday and Thursday, you're probably going to be looking up information, writing things down, trying to figure out what am I going to tell them You know, when they ask me Friday. It's the same thing. You yeah. know, if, you're, if you're going to be baptized, you need to start to reflect on maybe where you came from to this point, the present, and then, okay, now what? Where do I fit in? And so it, 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 you have to engage all those questions. Um, you know, if if you're having, <laughs> if you're fasting from no food, mm. right? Uh, those are real questions. We don't have that today. Um, you know, I've seen situations where raise your hand if you want to be baptized. Hand gets raised, get baptized. I mean, I'm not saying it's not genuine, but I'm just saying there needs to be a little bit more consideration of what you're actually doing. Mm. And that's the way they sort of looked at it. Yeah. Because to them, it was life or death. It yeah. wasn't simply, you know, something that we're doing as a group or whatever. Um, 
I remember reading in, um, it may have been again, the kingdom that turned the world upside down where it was talking about how when you became an elder in certain areas, it was almost like a death sentence mm. because when they would come and they would persecute, they would try to take it out from the top. Right. So they would come and grab the elders for persecution. And so to be ordained as an elder was not like what it is today where mm. it's, you know, in a lot of cases you're ordained as an elder and it's, it's, it's like, yeah, man, you know, I'm an elder. It's, back then it's probably like, <laughs> you know, I would imagine them looking out like, okay, so we're going to need two more elders. And I could see guys like, oh, okay, don't look my way, please. Yeah. <laughs> because that means for them, hey, they know, you know, they're coming for select sort of people. And so that's what I mean. That there was, there was this, uh, sense of genuineness and awe to a lot of the different mm. positions that they held. Um, and it does, I think, as a Christian, when you read that literature, it, it helps to illuminate the Bible as well. Mm. It gives the Bible even a little bit more context. Mm. Uh, and, and it helps you understand some of those, you know, stories in the Bible and different things and because uh, I remember reading some stuff from Clement. Is it Clement that was, that's, he's also. There's Clement of Rome. That was actually in the Bible, but then had the, but then still had the writings. That's Clement of Rome. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, when you, so you read a lot of those things and you go, oh, so it gives a little bit more context. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, definitely helps to, so I think. Every Christian, um, you know, should should peruse those books and and really try to learn, uh, you know, what happened in the beginning, you know, and, and it'll change the way you look at your faith. Mm. Um, it, I think you'll take it more seriously, and one of the things it will do is it will un-Americanize your faith, mm. right? You see almost everything through the prism of your nation because that's where you live. That's where you mm. – I still do that. I've been living in the States now for – since 98. But I still see things through a Caribbean lens. Yeah. So um, those types of things, those types of literatures help you to sort of pull down that American lens and just, just – you know, somebody said this to me one day, and it hit me like a ton of bricks, but it was like, it shouldn't have, but it did. They said, the Bible is a Jewish book. And I thought, no, it's not. It's, it's, it's like, no, the Bible is a Jewish book. And I thought, oh, yeah, I guess it is a Jewish book. <laughs> <laughs> Written by Jewish men except for Luke, right? Yeah, I believe All so. the authors are Jewish. Yeah. And then... The same person was telling me, well, the, the conversation started off with, they asked me, who's your, who's your hero out of the Bible? And then they proceeded to explain to me that every person in the Bible, almost all of them, that were of any significance, they're, they're all Jewish. They're all Jewish. It's a Jewish book. Yeah. And when you hear that, you think, 
Yeah, well, no. I mean, it's it's the Bible, right? But yeah, but it's a Jewish book. Yeah. And so when you put it in the context of a of a of a whole race of people called the Jews, hmm. it starts to change how you really think about what the Bible is teaching. Hmm. Um, and you you're gonna have to break away from your own culture to understand that culture. Hmm. That's why one of the things that I try to do is. Um, and I've done this before. I try to read books that help explain Jewish culture. Yeah. Because you can't, you know, and this is probably one of my um, pet peeves, if you will, with a lot of sermons you'll hear today. Like, you just take me, for example. I'm from the Virgin Islands. It would be like somebody studying a book on my life, and they've never been to St. Thomas. They've never asked any questions about the islands. It's going to be really hard to understand me if you don't have that information. Now, I've never been to Israel, but everybody that I know that has been have told me, you will never read the Bible the same mm-hmm. after you go. Because now you can go into sort of that society and that context and you can get, you know, and I think um, understanding Jewish culture, I don't fully understand it. But I try to read different things. I've read books on, um, for example, books on the tabernacle and yeah. understanding how the tabernacle was such an intricate part of their society and why. Then I remember one time reading a book on Jesus being the sacrifice. And it just hit me like a ton of bricks. Wait a minute. Because I would say for years, everybody says the Lamb of God. But I didn't know, I knew that was the title, but I didn't know what that meant. You know mm. what I mean? Yeah. So, But then when you go back and you look at Leviticus mm-hmm. and you look at the sacrificial system, you realize, oh, that's why he's the lamb of God. Mm. And so you have to go into that. You have to like dive into that culture to really understand what it is yeah. that you're actually proclaiming to be your faith, mm. you know? Um, and so I think you get all that. You know, when you start reading a lot of that literature, that's very crucial to your understanding because, like I said, you can take the Bible and Americanize it and miss, I would say, 90% of what it's actually saying. Mm. You know, you can take away a couple of principles, but, um, you know, you, you, you really need to understand, um, you know, what it is that's going on in there. That's why I think, you know, you just have to, and I know it's hard because we, uh, we'd like to be able to just pick it up, read it, and you can get the general message of the Bible. Sure. Which is God sent his only son, Jesus Christ, to die for our sins on the cross. Um, but if you stop there, it's like with a kid, right? But tell me why. Mm-hmm. Why did he have to send him? Well, now we got to go back. Yeah. Especially to that sacrificial system. Right. And if we're going to look at the sacrificial system, we have to look at the culture in which, because then some people may say, well, why do I have to kill animals? Yeah. Well, it's not about killing animals. There's so much symbolism tied up in there. And there's yeah. so many different things that you have to understand, but you have to understand that culture to understand this. As you know, there's so many sayings in the Bible. You take it outside of Jewish culture, it doesn't make any sense. Or which is more dangerous, you can attach your own meaning to it, mm. right? And before you know it, you've got 
all kinds of doctrine. Yeah. <laughs> that probably leads to a lot of the issues we have today. Yeah. You know? Uh, that's really good. I mean, thinking that we have a biblical worldview, but it's really just an American worldview. That's a certain brand of American worldview and like forcing that into the Bible. Yeah. So there's so much like um, eisegesis that's happening. Yeah. Where we're just cramming things in. Yeah. But man, that's awesome, dude. I I really appreciate you taking the time to to talk to me, Kareem, and share your story with with me, man. This is this is so cool. I want to give you an opportunity to just like share a last bit of encouragement or advice to anybody that's listening right now. That's how we'll wrap it up. Well, I would say um, somebody told me one time, I'm sure you've heard it before, this too shall pass. Mm. Um, That would be one thing I would tell people is whatever it is you have going on right now, this too shall pass. Um, And I think that if we can always try to find the lesson in whatever is going on, it helps to go through it. It it may not, it may not lessen the physical pain or the emotional pain, but it will assist in. Okay, this is where I'm headed because there's always a lesson um, in everything that God allows. It's never about, you know, God wanting you to go through something just so you could be battered and bruised. Yeah. Um, and what you're going through, somebody else needs to hear that story. Um, I remember a pastor one time that we shared talked about how uh, he went to the hospital with his kid and his kid was looking at him with a look of uh, betrayal when he allowed his kid to be taken off to get shots. Yeah. And that's kind of how God is with us. Like he allows us to be taken off to get shots, but but those shots, we need those shots. Mm. And it's not that God is just mean or, you know, once bad things to happen to us, but we have to get those shots so we can down the road be safe. This is not a political commentary <laughs> right now. <laughs> we're just doing we're just doing metaphor. Right yeah, now. yeah, yeah. I that totally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I left the context of 2021 on that one. Um, yes, this is not a not a plug for the vaccine, but um, yeah, he he talked about how he took his kid. For I guess you know the measles mumps because this was this was from several years back, (laughs) Um, but yeah I think that's how we we need to view God as as allowing us to go through certain things because there's something else we need to get. Yeah, Uh, there's an ultimate plan in everybody's life that God is. um, You know I've I've seen God use sick people Mm -hmm. to reach those that were not sick, and that person who is sick passes away mm. and things that that person did did in their last days living on mm. in those people um, I'll give you one one quick example uh, when I was in college I was also involved in InnoVarsity which is another Christian organization and the guy who was over it um, his wife became sick they took took her in one day for a test, found out she had some kind of skin cancer. Um, and then she got even more sick, got even more sick, did the chemo, but still kept getting sick. And so 
I got a call from somebody else in the group saying, hey, she's at the hospital. She's not doing well. They don't even know she's going to make it through the night. So the hospital was actually right next to the universe. Like literally the way in Cookville, the way it works out is the hospital is next to the dorms of the, the college. Uh, so you could just walk across the street and be in the hospital. And so I go to the hospital, I ask what room she's in, I go in the room and I go in there and she's, you know, got the IV and all this stuff. And I walk in and the first thing she says to me is, how are you doing? And I thought, what? Mm. <laughs> You're the one facing death. What do you mean? How am I doing it? Before I could get it off and ask her how she's doing, she's yeah. asking me questions about myself, my day and all this stuff. And... Maybe I hadn't been there maybe about three minutes and she grabs her husband's hand in pain. She's like, you know, she's kind of making these groaning sounds. And so I'm kind of there and it's it's a little bit awkward because I'm like, man, I wasn't expecting her to like you yeah. know, be going through anything while I was here. And so it stops and they're looking at like the machine as it's doing this. So the husband... He looks at me and he says, you know, when that happens, her tumors are literally growing by the minute. And so every time they're growing, she goes through this sort of spell of like pain. And huh. I thought, oh my gosh, you got to be kidding me. But outside of all this, she continues to ask me questions about my day. And, and so in her moment of you know, just really facing death. God used her to show me that no matter what you're going through, you can always ask the other person, how are you doing? Just step back and be like, How's, how are things going for you? And I've done that to people before and it's caught them off guard where they were like, do you want something? <laughs> you know, because people go, you know, they kind of they kind of uh, react that way. Um so even in her dying moments, I mean, she blessed me. Mm. That's something I'll never forget. Uh, she did not make it through that night. She died maybe. I left, and maybe a couple hours after I left, she passed on. Now, I mean, the husband was, he was, he took it pretty rough, but he was a man of faith. Mm. And so he, um, you know, he took it in stride. We went to the funeral. Uh, they had a little boy named Logan. And Logan was about three or four. Uh, and I'll never forget going to the funeral. And he's just up on stage and he's doing this and he's doing it. Because he has no idea yeah. that his mother's just passed on. He's probably just thinking, my mom's laying over there in, the, you know, in that casket. He, he probably thought his mother was sleeping. Um, but anyway, the point is that uh, no matter what, you know, even in those moments where we feel like maybe God has abandoned us, he hasn't. And even in those moments, we can still be a blessing to others. Um, but but a lot of the things that she went through touched so many of the lives of the students um, that it propelled a lot of a lot of our faith in terms of the ability to go through suffering but still Christ, still call Christ Lord. You know, had she abandoned her faith, um, 
maybe several of us would have abandoned ours when we started facing things in life. You know what I mean? But mm. they continued to hold the meetings. They continued to invite us to their house. They were just a model of consistency that you can still suffer and still be saved and still call on Christ as Lord. You know what I mean? And no matter what. So that would be what I would say to people is, you know, no matter what's going on, just just be consistent. Um, in intimacy with God, uh, there's a statement in there that says, um, being a Christian for every moment or something like that, no matter what's going on, mm. just being a Christian every moment um, creates intimacy with God. You know, so, you know, and I'm working on this. You know, if a guy cuts you off in traffic, can you be a Christian in that moment? You know, can you stop and say, you know what? Maybe he's rushing somewhere. Let me pray for him. Maybe he just got some really bad news. Let me pray for him. You know, maybe he just left a pretty intense argument with his parents or his sibling, I mean, his sibling or spouse or whatever. You just don't know where people are. Hmm. But if you can be a Christian in that moment, I think it will help. Um, well, first of all, it, it will definitely help you too because it keeps you at an even keel. Hmm. Um, because people do, people do things based on something else. They don't just do stuff. People, yeah. that's coming from somewhere. Yeah. Uh, bad things and good things. It's coming from somewhere. And I think if you can understand or at least try to, I think it will help you um, be a Christian in that moment and maybe just stop and pray for that person, ask them if they need something. So. That's awesome, man. No, no matter what kind of hurricane you might be going through, even if the roof is banging over and over God is right there with you yep yep it's true the stories they tell you they said there's no way they would go I know Look at me here too Nine thousand miles from home Don't seek escape I hear them say It's my heart It breaks in pieces My soul has found its meaning Right here with you Like ocean billows The tears The mothers before hell I hear The hopeful song of widows Feel my cold heart melt I think I know Why you said go Fear 
it's loaded my heart. 